welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on October 24th, Lord's Day Service. Our text this morning is Leviticus chapter 8, read verses 1 through 15 and 22 through 30. Leviticus 8, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Aaron and his sons with him in the garments, the anointing oil and a bull as a sin offering, two rams and a basket of unleavened bread and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him, and he put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastplate. And he put the turban on his head. Also on the turban, on its front, he put the gold plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Also Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle that was all and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the layer and its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes and put hats on them as the Lord commanded Moses. And he brought the bull of the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering and Moses killed it. Then he took the blood and put put some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger and purified the altar. And he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Verse 22. And he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram and Moses killed it. Also, he took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears and the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread, that which was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil and one wafer and put them on the fat on the right thigh. And he put all these in Aaron's hands in his son, and his son's hands and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from the hands and burned them on the altar, on the burnt offering. They were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma. That was an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' part of the ram of consecration as the Lord commanded Moses. 
Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments with him. Let us pray. Our Father in God, you have given us all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have made us to partake of the great mysteries of your grace. May we receive these mysteries with faithful hearts. May we embrace them. Though we cannot see them fully with our eyes, open us to your wonders. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How do you prepare someone to be a priest? That's not a question I'm sure most of you ask on a regular basis. It's not something we have to worry about. But though it seems dated, in this passage, God was preparing his people for that very task. He was forming his people for holiness. That's what the book of Leviticus is about, teaching us how we can come back into God's presence and forming us to be holy unto the Lord. He is still forming his people. And Leviticus 8 teaches us how he prepares us for service. And unlike the old priesthood, this new priesthood of God is not limited to one particular group based on your sex and on your age. The new priesthood of God prepared for service begins with the first steps of preparation, which we will look at here in a moment. Priestly work is the work of intercession, representing the people to God and God to the people. It was a dangerous task, for the priests were going onto God's holy ground. The God who slew the firstborn of Egypt, who miraculously led Israel out of bondage, was hovering overhead in the glory cloud. So let's set this picture up. He came to Moses, and the fire was small. But now, as the people had left Egypt, the glory cloud was just that. It was glorious. It's the same fiery cloud that held back the most powerful military in the world at that time, the Egyptian military. They could not pass through that fire. And if you had seen this, if you're an Israelite and you had seen this glory cloud who is a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, if you had seen that cloud hold back this mighty army, you would not be easily influenced to walk onto his holy ground without thinking carefully. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, the congregation was called to the entrance of the tabernacle. You see, up to this point in Leviticus, it's all instructions on how to bring offerings. 
No offerings had actually been offered yet by the priests. So this is the initiating ceremony. This is bringing everyone forward to see the priest prepared. Scholars note that the Hebrew wording for the tabernacle changes from the book of Exodus to the book of Leviticus. In the book of Exodus, it's called just the tabernacle. The Hebrew word there is mishkan, which means tent. But in Leviticus, your Bible probably translates it the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. That's another Hebrew word, O-L Moadah. If you know ancient Hebrew and I did not pronounce that correctly, you feel free to tell me afterwards. But that means tent of meeting. And that, that transition from one book to the next is important. It's no longer just a tent for Yahweh. They're not only preparing this tent for God to come, which he would, but they are preparing this because it is the tent where God's people go to meet him. And his people are represented by the priests. But remember, the people could actually come once the sacrifices and the offerings were initiated. They could come to the door and they were allowed in after the offering, their offering had been given. The one who inhabited the holy mountain in the past was ready to come down and dwell among men. Before he had given Moses the law on Sinai, but now he is coming down in this house for himself and he was calling the people together to meet him there. But before he could come, the furniture and the priest had to be prepared. They had to be set apart for the work, for the service of God. And Leviticus 8 teaches us what this preparation is. So we can see the preparation for the priest in four steps. Washing, clothing, anointing, and offering. Washing, clothing, anointing, and offering. So we begin with washing. And in verses 5 and 6, we see that Moses washed the hands and the feet of the priest. Now, it did not specify hands and feet. That's also, a lot of this, we, we can see the more explicit instructions given in the book of Exodus, chapters 28 and 39, give instructions for how they are to enact these rituals. But we know that Moses would pour water on the hands and the feet of Aaron and his sons. Aaron would be the high priest. His sons would be the priests serving with him. This washing demonstrated that they are cleansed, that they are not, that they don't have the impurity on themselves anymore. Their feet had to be clean because they were going onto holy ground. Remember, Moses had to take his shoes off at the burning bush because he was on holy ground. When Joshua met the captain of the army of the Lord, Yahweh incarnate, then he had to take off his shoes because he was on holy ground. Wherever God's presence is, is holy ground. And the tabernacle was where God's presence dwelt. So first is washing. The next thing was clothing. They had to be clothed. The priestly garments were placed on them. That is, there was a coat, a girdle, a robe, an ephod, breastplate, 
and a crown. Now, some of the most interesting elements here, uh, again, we can see uh, more detail you can read in Exodus 28 about this. But the breastplate and the ephod, it, was, it, it held 12 stones. And each of these 12 stones was for the different tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And they weren't just bland stones. It's not like they just picked up some smooth river rock and said, well, this one looks like a good, like a good stone for the tribe of Dan. And, and this one's kind of smoothed out. We can, we can use it for the tribe of Issachar. No, these were beautiful stones. They were colorful stones. So they would make a walking rainbow that the priest would wear. And there was also these two elements called the Urim and the Thummim. And the reason the, the, the scripture just leaves those names as they are is because that's pretty literally what it's called in Hebrew also. And we don't have a clear idea what it was. We know that they were used at times to discern what God's will was when there was a question because they did not have scripture as in all the books that we have. There were things that they were missing and when they wanted to know what does God want, they would consult the priest. The priest would come out and he would bring out the Urim and the Thummim and some think it may be something like dice. It could, well, we really don't know, but we know that that's how God would answer at times in the old covenant. So they would have this. And then the last piece of clothing was the headdress. Now it says that there was a turban, but specifically here, and we see this in verses seven through nine, there is a crown, a mitre, a gold plate that would go on the turban, and on that plate was marked, holy to Yahweh. It means that this person is set apart for God and his service. The anointing, verses eight, excuse me, verses 10 through 12, Moses poured oil onto the furniture of the tabernacle. Then he would pour it on Aaron and his sons. The, the anointing represents the glory of God. It represents God's spirit resting on the priest as well as on even the elements, on the furniture. It shows, the text says, that the, this person is removed, is set apart as being God's, as belonging to him. What does oil do? It makes you shine, right? So when, when someone has oil on their face, on their hair, it, is, it reflects the light in a greater way. So being thoroughly oiled would display that you have a type of glory now. Then there was the offering. The offering takes up the largest portion of this text. We talked about in the first five chapters the three major offerings that are given, and, and, and we see these again here. 
you see a sin offering that is for the sins of the priests that they would bring. There is an ascension, excuse me, I said three offerings, I mean four. There is an ascension offering brought and then there is a unique type of peace offering. It's called the consecration offering. But if you compare the instructions here with the instructions for bringing a peace offering that we saw previously in Leviticus, that's what it was. But particularly some of the animal in this consecration offering, they took the blood, Moses took the blood and he applied it to the right earlobe, to the right thumb and to the right big toe of Aaron and of his sons. So ceremonially, they are covered in blood. It shows that the blood has been applied to them. And remember, we're not, the sin offering was a different offering, okay? This is not for sin. This is to display that this priest has come through blood. He is himself now a part of the tabernacle furniture, in a sense. He is a type of, of offering, of a sacrifice, because he, his life is now given totally to the service of Almighty God. He has come through blood and can serve in a way that not just anyone could. And then there was the grain offering that was brought, the unleavened bread. And so after they had gone through these, then remember with the peace offering, the priest could eat. So then the, the, the peace offering and the grain offering would be eaten by Aaron and his sons. And they did this every day for seven days. We read at the very end of chapter eight, they could not even leave the tabernacle at all during the day. It said that they remained there for seven days. So this was a growing display before all the people that God is calling this unique band for his service. Today, there is a change in the priesthood. One of the major messages of the New Testament is to declare, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, the priesthood of believers, of all believers. He says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Our priesthood, though, differs from this old Levitical priesthood. Because ours, we are priests through our Savior, Jesus. Well, Jesus is not a priest from the tribe of Levi. Does anybody remember the priestly nation or the order of the priesthood that Christ is from? We're told in the book of Hebrews. He's from the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was not even a Hebrew. We meet Melchizedek in the book of Genesis. When Abraham, after a, vict a victory in battle, brings a tithe of what he gained to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a king and priest of Salem. And 
The book of Psalms and later the book of Hebrews says that Melchizedek is himself a type of Christ. And after the order of Melchizedek, we also, according to Revelation chapter 1 verse 6, we're not only priests, but we are kings as well. See, in Levitical priesthood, a Levite could not be the king. In that way, they maintained a strict order of separation between the church, God's people, and the civil realm. We too, though, undergo preparation for our calling as priests because now all of God's people are his priests. We have the same four actions that are given to the priest in Leviticus 8. The New Testament writers apply to us now. So we also have our own form of washing, clothing, anointing, and offering. So in the rest of our time together, I want us to consider these four. To begin with, washing. Now I'm sure you've probably already beat me mentally to where I'm going there. You know where I'm headed with this. We have washing. Washing is the act of bringing one from the old into the new. And what is our Christian act of washing? Baptism. Baptism is the act that separates us from the world. It is the declaration of the one to whom we belong. As Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, one of those awesome passages that people read about and they wonder what on earth is he talking about here? Because he talks about Jesus preaching the spirits in prison and he talks about Noah and baptism also now saves you. All, of three, all three of those things are confusing for us. Say, how can this be? Well, he says, referring to baptism, it's not putting away the filth of the flesh. That means it's not just that, that you're making sure that you get all the dirty stuff off of your hands. Or in the, in the case of baptism, when the water is poured on you, it doesn't mean that now you never have any more germs to deal with. No, it is the answer or the pledge of a good conscience. In baptism, we are pledged, we are purposed as belonging to God. The washing made the, a distinction between who is clean and who is unclean for the priest. Well, we also have that. We're told in Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Draw near where? Well, Hebrews chapter 10 is about coming to the presence of God. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. What happened? What did we just read about in Leviticus? What happened to the priests? Were they sprinkled? Yes, they were. They, had, they were sprinkled with blood. So the author of Hebrews says, we should draw near, we should come into God's presence as priests because our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. We say, that's a lovely metaphor. Actually, no, it's not a metaphor. It is gospel truth. We are washed with water. We are given 
the water to, to show that we have been removed. We've been separated. We've been cleansed. Jesus is our high priest and we are the priests serving under him. Therefore, we follow his example. We are commissioned into his service in the new tabernacle. But the new tabernacle is not just this one closed off space. We are commissioned to service in the world, the whole world. Now, that doesn't mean that you are called to all the world necessarily. You're called where God has put you right now. That's your calling. And that's where you are actively serving as his priest. Now, this does bring up a question, though. You say, well, if these priests couldn't, they couldn't serve until they're adults. So wouldn't that then restrict baptism to a particular age? Reasonable question. I've heard it argued before. But we, we can't tie it that closely, though, because, for two reasons. First of all, no one in here, whatever your conviction says that we should limit baptism to somebody who's at least 30 years old, and you had to be 30 years old before you could serve as a priest in Levitical, in Levitical priesthood. You could serve from the time you're 30 to the time you're 50. Well, we don't argue that. No one would argue that. But even more importantly, the new Christian priesthood, again, it's not under the tribe of Levi. It's under the tribe or the order of Melchizedek. You see, Melchizedek is one for whom age has no priority. As we're told in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3, he is, that is Melchizedek, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. You see, the priesthood that, to which we are ordained is one where age is irrelevant. Melchizedek, we don't have his age. And the author of Hebrews says, that's on purpose. Because washing is no longer limited. You are washed, and when you are washed into the as the first act in the Christian priesthood, you are marked as belonging to God. So we are washed. But the second stage in our preparation is that we are anointed. The anointing of a priest or king in Israel demonstrated that he had God's spirit. God's glory was upon him. John, in the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, says that we had the anointing of God. We have the Spirit. He's talking about God's Spirit. You know, some Christian traditions actually, when you are baptized, they also will anoint you. I mean, they, they have oil and they will pour it on. It's, it's Eastern Christianity. We do not practice that in our Western churches. It is their, in their desire, though, to be literal. But we don't have to do that 
Because we take the scriptures at face value. We have the anointing, we have the Spirit of God. When you are in Christ, God's Spirit is in you. You have the Spirit poured out from on high. We don't have to wait as Christians for another anointing. Have you ever thought about that? There was one anointing that has come upon the church in the new covenant age. When was that? Pentecost. It says the Spirit was poured out from on high. And the people had, the Christians had on them, it was like tongues of fire. The oil was there and the fire came down and they glowed with the light of God. Christian, his light is also upon you. The glory of God has been poured out on you as well. And you shine. We are the light of the world. When the light of Christ shines upon us who have been filled with the Spirit of God, like the priest of old, we then reflect before others that we have been set apart for God's purposes. So we are washed, we are anointed, we are also clothed. I do want to spend time here because the items of clothing, they were all very carefully made, but we don't wear any of these things now. I mean, honestly, if, if, if a man walks into the church building and he's wearing a miter or a crown, he would attract a lot of attention. But we gloss over the attire of the priest because it seems just very obscure. But again, in the New Testament, it, the writers don't leave it as mere, uh, in mere obscurity. The most famous passage of clothing in the New Testament is Paul's reference to the armor of God. In Ephesians 6, verse 10. We know about the armor of God. We've read about the armor of God. And we assume that Paul, when he talks about armor, is speaking of Roman military attire. But if you dig a little bit further and you consider the way he uses the language, you start to notice he's not just secularizing our service to God. The Levites were also weapon bearers. Part of the Levite's job was to remain around the tabernacle and to defend it from those who would come on God's holy ground. So they, had, they were at the ready with arrows to shoot anyone who would come. Levites were holy warriors. Isaiah speaks of the coming Messiah as having a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation. Isaiah 59 verse 17. Well, we remember the priest's breastplate had stones. One stone each for each, for each tribe of Israel. 
And every time the light would shine, whether he's outside performing the service of the offerings or whether he is inside in the presence of God in the holy place or once a year on the Day of Atonement in the most holy place, the candle would reflect off of those stones and not not only would he see the reflection, it would also reflect back to God. So when he is outdoors, he is reflecting those stones, that light to the people who are bringing the offerings. When he's indoors in the tabernacle, he reflects it before God. I've said several times, this is like a rainbow. These stones reminded the people of God's promise to, not again, to never again judge the world by water. Christian, when you serve the Almighty, like the priests of old, you reflect God's righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is not just something that will protect you. No, you've been given the shield of faith to protect you from the fiery darts of the wicked one. The breastplate of righteousness that Isaiah talks about and then that Paul talks about is a priestly breastplate. It is a breastplate that reflects the covenant right, the, the covenant faithfulness, the, 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 the righteousness, the perfection of God. So in the world, in your home, in your work, wherever you go, you reflect God's righteousness before the world. You reflect that God is no longer at war only, but that the peace offering once and for all has been given. You bring God's anointing, his grace and his righteousness to every place you go, to every person you meet. You are no ordinary individual because you've been clothed. And when people look at you, they should not see any old person. They should see the glory, the righteousness of Christ that comes out, that reflects off of you. You say, oh boy, Um, I hate to tell you, but, well, I'm just glad you've not seen me this morning, yesterday, 71 times this past week, because I was not reflecting the righteousness of God. For that, there are offerings. The priest needed an offering as well. That's good news. It's not that the priest was some superior person who didn't need his sin covered, who didn't need to be set apart. No, he needed it just as much as everyone else. He was, yes, at a higher standard. There was a higher standard for the priest, but he still had offerings. He he still would bring the offering for sin. He would still come, and before he could serve God on behalf of others, he had to come to God himself. And again, what you are doing in your priestly work in the world is a work of intercession, but it begins by you coming to God, by you 
coming through Christ who is the eternal offering for all of your sin. So brother and sister, whatever you've done this past week, whatever you've done yesterday, today, it doesn't matter. 10 years ago, whatever it is, if you come through Christ, it's gone. You say, but you don't know. I don't care. You're not, you don't have to take the word of Matt Carpenter for this. You take the word of Almighty God for this. Your sin is covered because you have the eternal offering that will never change. You are clothed with the breastplate of righteousness. That is your gift, a gift to you from the Spirit of God. But there's one more item of clothing I want to bring up, and that is the headdress. The turban with a golden plate that said holiness to Yahweh, holiness to the Lord. This is what marked, it was a symbol and everyone could read it. It marked them as set apart to God. Now, I don't want us to try to overthink this one either. We are told by Paul to put on the helmet of salvation. Don't run to Roman military garb here either. Because I'll tell you what, when Isaiah writes about a helmet of salvation, he didn't have the Romans in mind. He had something else in mind. He's referring also to a priestly helmet. This headdress that you are called to put on as a saint marks you as belonging to God. Wherever you go, your salvation is tied to whom you belong to. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 4, we read that the beast and the nations under his sway makes men take a mark on their foreheads. This is in contrast to the 144,000 in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, who have the Father's name written on their foreheads. Now, I know some of you might say, this is, a, this is a great reason to get a tattoo, okay? Right here. That's not what's in, that, that's not the picture, okay? The 144,000 are priests. And they have the mark, the name of Christ written on their priestly helmets. And this marks them as gods. They are wearing the priest's crown. So how do we then apply this? How do we put this on? Well, I have news for you. Revelation happens, the events that we see in Revelation are not just one time, that they happen in some form over and over and over again. Caesar wants you. He wants you. He desperately, the beast wants you. 
He wants to control you. He wants to keep you. He wants you to be his. But he can't have you. You belong to God, the one who made you and called you from darkness into light. There's all kinds of ways that you are tempted and you are called and you are told, give yourself to the enemy. It doesn't have to be much. It's just a little mark. It's just one pinch of incense, as the old Christians were told in Roman time. Just throw a little pinch of incense and then go run back to your church. That's it. Now, I'm not telling you, because I know where some of you are certainly think what some of you are thinking about. It's what most people are thinking about right now. If you have work and you are living in this time when you are being told by many of your superiors, you have to do this or else. So let me tell you what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying that it is a sin to take a vaccine or a procedure or anything like that. I'm not saying that, okay? But neither does it make it righteous to take a vaccine or have a procedure or anything like that. But I will say this. You must never exchange the helmet of salvation for submission to the beast in his system. As God's people, we cannot give up our birthright for a mess, a pottage that will go away, it will ruin, and it will fall. The system of the enemy may look insurmountable. Just like the 144,000 taking on the myriad hordes of the beast looked insurmountable. Leviathan may threaten and swear because he wants you to publicly bow to him. But saints of God, your Redeemer is mighty. He has washed you. He has anointed you. He has clothed you and he has provided the offering for you that you may serve him forever. So be faithful to him. You've been given the calling of a priest and you have been prepared to be God's priests. So go out into the world as faithful servants, holding your head high, clothed in the armor of God. Be faithful to him no matter the consequences and one day you will reign with him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for preparing us, for giving us all that we need. And may we now receive this through the work of your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.